Ciao amici, welcome to Cinema Italiano, the podcast dedicated to the Italian experience as told by film. Today, we'll be talking about Alice Rohrwacher's 2014 film, The Wonders, or Le Meraviglie. First, as a couple quick news items, the Nostro di Argento Awards just took place in June, and the big winners were Marks Can Wait, directed by Marco Bellocchio, as the winner for Film of the Year, as well as Paolo Sorrentino's The Hand of God, which we've done an episode on, as the winner of Best Film, plus Mario Martone, who won Best Director and Best Screenplay for Nostalgia. The Hand of God is available to watch in the U.S. now on Netflix, and Nostalgia looks like it'll be released in the U.S. later in Fall 2022, hopefully with an at-home release, as well as what I'm guessing will be a limited theatrical run. I also published a new review on Mascarpone, or Maschile Singolare, a 2021 film directed by Alessandro Guida and Matteo Pelati. Mascarpone is the story of Antonio, who is suddenly abandoned by his husband, forcing him to find a job and a new place to stay, after growing perhaps a bit soft and comfortable through his marriage. He finds a new roommate, Dennis, whose wilder and uninhibited lifestyle is a far cry from the shy, mild-mannered demeanor of our protagonist. Dennis pushes Antonio out of his shell, encouraging him to take a job in a bakery, and Antonio enrolls in a cooking school to set a concrete, albeit institutional, path forward. Mascarpone's greatest strength is in the lead performance by Giancarlo Comare as Antonio. His journey from a deeply broken-hearted young man at the beginning to a confident and playful single player on the scene, with moments of coldness, desperation, and even cruelty all along the way, is both varied and innately human. We see all the colors, good and bad, of Antonio, and, as we're along for that full roller coaster, we too want what's best for him in the end. Even though all the elements of this movie don't exactly work, Mascarpone is overall a well-rounded portrait of a young man in crisis who can only achieve resolution through himself. Now, onto our main subject for today, The Wonders by Alice Rohrwacher. I first got to see this movie in April 2020, when Alice Rohrwacher's first two films were featured on the Criterion channel. I enjoyed it right away, and saw it fitting in perfectly with her other films, Corpo Celeste and Happy as Lazzaro, with a neorealist formal filmmaking style with flourishes of magic and hyperreality that slowly sink in and elevate the experience into something spiritually transcendent. The Wonders is the story of a family of bee farmers living in Tuscany. The eldest daughter, the teenage Gelsomina, stumbles upon a TV show called Countryside Wonders filming near them, with a contest awarding prize money to the local farmer who best represents the region. The father of the family, Wolfgang, is against joining the competition and wants no part of it, but as the family's situation grows more dire, the contest becomes a more enticing, and perhaps their only, choice available. Something we see time and again throughout the film is Gelsomina playing multiple roles, as surrogate mother to her little sisters, as a supervisor to Martin, a juvenile delinquent who's been brought to work on the farm, and she even acts as head of household, with the final say and ultimate authority to outsiders, whether they be social workers or inquiring TV producers. 
She is the oldest sibling, but also bears an undue burden of responsibility. A routine task on the family farm that needs to be done is to switch out the honey buckets in their laboratory, and the buck seems to stop with her to see this through. Even when the second oldest daughter, Marinella, gets her hand cut in a horrible accident and requires stitches, at the doctor's, all that Gelsomina can think about is that it's time to switch out the honey buckets. When they get home, a judge from the TV show is there waiting for them. Coco, a woman who lives with them and helps out on the farm, introduces Gelsomina as the beekeeper of the family business, in absence of both parents. Gelsomina is presented not as the daughter or just a part of the operation. She is the operation. In addition to her domestic responsibilities, Gelsomina also seems to wield an even more impressive ability, her connection with nature. It manifests first in subtle ways. After going out to the beehives with her father, another task of hers is to brush the stingers off of his back. She's in it around the bees just as much as he is, but she doesn't need anyone to do the same for her. She's able to work with the beehives, move the bees place to place, and get through it unscathed. Her connection with bees also manifests as she develops a trick, where she's hidden a bee in her lips, then slowly opens her mouth as it creeps up her face. During all this, she seems totally at ease and relaxed. She perfects this skill even further with Martin, who's an accomplished whistler. They prep an act where she releases multiple bees from her mouth in sync with the music of Martin's whistle, working its magic like a snake charmer. She later picks up Martin's gift as a whistler and uses it to set their camel into motion, from sitting down to trotting along, when nobody else in the family could get it to budge earlier. Gelsomina's command and connection with nature is a far cry from her father Wolfgang, who seems hopelessly out of step with everything. His inability to understand the bees and the humans around him. He's a stubborn man who falls victim to the economy, his neighbors, and even his own image. Financial tragedy hits the family. It's implied that their rents are going up, or they're otherwise being forced out of their home. When the TV show opportunity presents itself as a possible resolution to their problems, Wolfgang brushes it aside and scoffs that they don't need the money, it won't do them any good. Shortly after, they discover that their bees are dying. Wolfgang's instincts are that it's the plague, which turns out to be incorrect. Gelsomina points out that it's something else, and then he immediately suspects that it's their neighbor, a cattle farmer. In fact, it turns out the neighbor is using a new weed killer provided by the local farmers association, another body that Wolfgang distrusts. He says that the farmers association is turning the farmers into idiots and that they themselves should be who's banding together. The neighbor, however, is more open-minded about the association, replying that they can create more work and even bring tourism. The two neighbors, honey farmer and cattle farmer, are friendly rivals in the TV competition. When the cattle farmer is asked what he would do if he won the prize money, again, he mentions agritourism and turning his farm into a country bed and breakfast. When Wolfgang is asked the same question, he sort of clams up. He slowly replies that his product is natural, virgin, and that they don't add anything to the honey. The TV host Millie asks if there's anything else viewers would want to know, and he replies that certain things can't be bought. He says, when we work this honey, it is completely, the world is about to end. The host cuts him off abruptly. She reaffirms that certain things can't be bought, 
and moves on. Wolfgang is very much a prickly, negative figure throughout the movie, and it's hard to be sympathetic with him. But in this moment, he suddenly becomes very small, pathetic, and unseen. In the public eye, with the chance to describe his life's work, he can barely find the words, and ends by ominously uttering that the world is about to end. This could be his own realization, in the micro sense, that they aren't going to win the Countryside Wanders competition, and that the family farm soon won't be theirs. Or he could also be recognizing a greater macro change in the world today, that agriculture is shifting to a new level of commercialization and commodification through agritourism that he simply can't keep up with. As poignant as this moment is, Wolfgang is often a cruel and abusive man to his family. He makes no secret that he thinks less of his daughters than if they were sons, openly admitting he wishes for a son, and even giddily finding a son figure through Martin. When the girls make a mistake in the honey lab, he's irritated that Gelso has tasked Marinella with switching out the buckets. Wolfgang says that that's what Martin is for, someone who picks up the bucket with ease. On their way back from a job, Gelso is even kicked out of her regular seat up in the front next to her dad. This time, that front seat goes to Martin. Her right-hand place on her father's side has been taken from her in an act of psychological manipulation. Another, perhaps more chilling form of abuse comes from another adult in the family, quietly and unexpectedly towards the film's end. Following the production of the TV show, Coco, a woman who helps out on the farm, and Gelsomina step out into the forest. Coco is crying and tells Gelso how beautiful she was in the show. Her look lingers on Gelso just a tad too long, and then Martin joins them from up the hill. Coco puts her arms around both children and tries to pair them up, saying that when there are two, they should be in love, kissing Gelso and then attempting to kiss Martin. It's a horrible scene to watch and comes up so unexpectedly when Coco, from what we've seen before, has so far been a loving figure, like a cross between mother and big sister to Gelso. The sudden violation of boundaries and non-consensual contact calls these girls' upbringing even more into question. Who, if anyone, can these sisters trust when they're the prey of emotional and physical abusers? To shift from some of the thematics to some of the formal elements of this movie, a lot of the subject matter, including the artifice and performance of television, is elevated through its cinematography. A recurring visual image is of the shadow, particularly those of Gelsomina and of Martin. When the women of the family explore the necropolis, where the Countryside Wanders program will be filmed, we see a shot of Angelica, the mother, leaning against a wall of stone, and she's approached by the shadows of who turns out to be Gelsomina walking toward her. Shortly after, at the family's home, during nighttime, Marinella watches the shadow of Martin as she talks sweetly about him with the smile of a girlhood crush. And finally, the most striking and magical use of shadows is back on the island where Gelso has come to find Martin. They lie together in the cave, and the camera pans up to their shadows cast by a crackling fire. We see their shadows set into motion and move around, almost animalistically, like they're walking around on all fours, and then the camera slowly pans back down, and we see that they're still in place, lying beside each other. In each of these instances, their shadows are like an expression beyond who they actually are or where they are in life. Martin as a romantic match for Marinella, 
Gelsomina and Martin as free and liberated, when in fact they're anything but. Another powerful moment of shadows comes during the filming of the TV show. The women of the cattle farming family are asked to sing, and they perform a traditional folk song. As they harmonize, the camera pans up, now observing their shadows performing, then slowly pans to the left, where their shadows are cast upon Millie, the host of the show. This little moment can be read a number of ways. There's an uncomfortable sense of hokiness and exotification of the agrarian life packaged for television as part of Countryside Wonders, as these everyday people are made to dress in traditional garb that they certainly don't wear every day. But this expression through song is almost primal coming deep from their souls and somehow rings authentically in a setting of artifice. If not they themselves, then it's their voices, spirits, and essences are what carry over and cast a shadow. Given the use of shadows, plus the setting in which they are often shot within, it's hard not to think of the allegory of the cave. In Plato's Republic, he writes of a dialogue in which Socrates describes people who have been living in a cave all their lives, and all they see are the shadows cast on the wall the effect of physical objects passing in front of a fire behind them out of their own sight. The image that the people are seeing as a result is the shadow, not the real things. But to them, and from their limited purview, this is the reality. The space between the real and the unreal can certainly apply for the TV competition. The farmers forced to dress in traditional garb, inauthentic to their experience, further heightened by the dancers in sparkly neoclassical attire performing to a contemporary dance pop song, plus the synthesized fake instruments of the show's theme song. The artifice of it all rings through television as a medium, and certainly the version of reality presented by Countryside Wonders. The use of shadows and a non-physical presence also echoes with the mysterious and striking ending of the film. The family has to leave their home, and they spend the final morning in bed together out in the front yard. The camera pans away, leaving the bed out of sight, and then when the camera eases back to its original angle, the family is gone. Just as their imprint on the world is gone now too, leaving just an empty house and empty yard behind. The family as a full, singular, albeit imperfect, unit is supported not only visually through their joint disappearance, but also through the warm sense of sisterhood and a shared musical language. Through the song Te Aparta Tengo by Ambra Angiolini, which is heard three times in the film. We hear it first in a quiet moment between the two oldest sisters, Gelsomina and Marinella. Marinella wears a big grin and begins a clearly choreographed dance as Gelsomina sings the song. The song recurs a second time, in a sadder moment, in the honey laboratory when the girls have work to do, and Marinella turns up the song on the radio to lighten the mood and bring back their shared moment, only to be rebuked by her older sister, who is now irritated. The song is heard a third and final time in the closing credits, after Gelsomina has returned to the family and they all suddenly vanish from the landscape. The lyrics of the song speak of an eternal love. I belong to you and I care, and if I promise, then I keep it. You belong to me, and if you care, you promise and then you keep it. 
It's a pledge of a reciprocal love. I give my love to you and you to me. The lyrics go on to say, I promise, you promise. I swear to you an eternal love. If it's not love, I'll go to hell. This love will already be a fire. I shout it a hundred thousand times a night. The purest expressions of love we see are between the two sisters, Gelsomina and Marinella, in all its tenderness and occasional irritation, as well as between Gelsomina and Martin. Despite an Italian-German language barrier, they seem to connect on a subconscious spiritual level, transcending physical form through their shadows. To speak to some of the cultural context The Wanders is set within, it was filmed in Tuscany, and particularly with the TV program Countryside Wanders, there is much talk of the ancient Etruscans as being representative of the farming lifestyle the show claims to reflect. The Etruscans were a pre-Roman Empire civilization who lived in the north of the Italian peninsula, in modern-day Tuscany, western Umbria, northern Lazio, and they were contemporaries of the ancient Greek Empire. Artifacts and structures from that region, as well as in modern-day Rome, are attributed back to the Etruscans. They're a fundamental part of the foundation that would go on to become the Roman Empire. In the TV show, the host Millie describes the Etruscans as a mysterious people for whom we can't understand their writing, but we can see their drawings. Their sense of mystery and unknowability is brought to further life by their exotification as part of the Countryside Wanders program. Assigning an ancient civilization, archaic attire, and mystical music to very real farmers, where it's all presented as a portrayal of their everyday lives, filmed in an ancient necropolis, altogether an inauthentic portrait of contemporary people. Millie also describes the show's filming location, the necropolis, as a space between life and death. The necropolis is literally a city of the dead, for which the Etruscans meant elaborate tombs with multiple rooms, all decorated like houses. Another sense of irony and artifice is that the necropolis typically housed the bodies of royalty, the wealthy, and elite. Farmers, like those featured on the TV program, were likely not those who were memorialized in such a grandiose cemetery, but rather were entombed far outside of town. In addition to the historical cultural context, there's some interesting parallels to Italian film, specifically the works of Federico Fellini. Our lead protagonist is Gelsomina, sharing her name with the tragic heroine of Fellini's La Strada. In the Fellini film, Gelsomina is a young woman who is sold into servitude to Zampano, a circus strongman who is often cruel and abusive towards her. Living in a situation with few options and no way out, she strives to find beauty and happiness even within her dire setting. The Gelsomina of the Wonders, living an impoverished life on a farm, finds her spark through the TV competition. Her encounter with its host, the goddess-like Millie, in an elaborate white and gold gown and impossibly white wig, is a moment of wonder and hyper-reality beyond her day-to-day -day existence. Like in La Strada, this Gelsomina is also the victim of a cruel, abrasive figure in the form of her father. He resents his daughters, often wishes out loud for a son, and his intimidating masculinity makes him a memorably brutish force, much like Sampano. Gelsomina's first meeting with Millie also has echoes with another Fellini film, La Dolce Vita. Gelso sees a beautiful woman draped in neoclassical attire, 
wading in the pool of a waterfall as mysterious ancient music plays. It's a striking moment of stillness, similar to an iconic scene in La Dolce Vita, where the journalist Marcello witnesses a blonde bombshell actress, Silvia, played by Anita Ekberg, walking into the mammoth Trevi Fountain in Rome. These parallels inform characterization, the power dynamics, and relationships between our leads, as well as the sense of wonder and discovery that the story takes them through. The movies of Fellini are rich with hyperreality, magical flares in an otherwise grounded world, a tradition carried on today by Alice Rohrwacher. The Wonders is Rohrwacher's second feature film, following Corpo Celeste in 2011 and before Happy as Lazzaro in 2018. It premiered at the Cannes Film Festival in 2014 and went on to earn the Grand Prix. It fits well in the vein of her other films, both in terms of its formal qualities, handheld camera, diegetic music, as well as with its moments of fantasy occurring gradually and often without fanfare. Beyond her impeccable style, what draws me to Rohrwacher's movies is how deeply caring and compassionate they are. We meet people on the edges of society who are often pushed aside and ignored. Her portraits of humanity are complex but authentic, with a lead in Gelsomina who is a loving big sister who occasionally snaps at her little sisters, her friend Joya, who is clearly wealthier and leads a different kind of life, but in her supporting role, she's genuinely happy for her friend and rooting for the family, and a mostly abusive father in Wolfgang who becomes small and pathetic when put on camera. She draws out empathy and even understanding to bring unexpected characters to life in unexpected ways. If you enjoyed The Wanders, a couple other movies it reminded me of were Federico Fellini's Ginger and Fred, a satire that pokes fun at the performance and artifice of television, as well as Rohrwacher's previous film, Corpo Celeste, which also depicts a thorough picture of humanity for all its complexities and shortcomings in a warm and compassionate light. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your choice of podcast platform. You can also follow the show on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time, ciao amici. Prometto,